Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros. Welcome to Channel Journeys. How are you doing? I'm in a really good mood. Spring is definitely finally here in Georgia, bringing some of the best cycling of the year. And spring is also QBR season. We just wrapped up our global QBR in Boston. While I was there, the mask mandate was lifted at airports and on airplanes. And what a treat it was to fly home. You could just tell everyone's mood was lifted. Strangers were talking with each other again. Everyone was smiling, so it was just a whole, totally different world, and I, I really hope it can stay that way because I've got more flights coming up soon the next couple of months, a lot more business travel. Well, before we dive into today's topic, I want to give a shout-out to Allbound, the sponsor of Channel Journeys. You've been hearing me talk about Allbound, the maker of a world-leading partner portal that vendors rely on to manage their diverse partner ecosystems, and I've been talking about how fast and easy it is to set up with a great user interface. Well, this past week, I had the pleasure of meeting Genesis Lee, their new VP of Customer Experience. She shared what's driving Allbound's growth and customer success, and I'm really looking forward to having her on the podcast coming up probably next month. Meanwhile, be sure to check them out at allbound.com. There's a lot of talk about marketplaces like the AWS Marketplace, the Azure Marketplace. Many of us are adding them to our partner strategy. But what about cloud service brokers and cloud service aggregators? Where do they fit in your strategy, and, and what even is a cloud service broker? Where do you find them? To answer these questions, I reached out across the pond to speak with Darren Finney. He's the SVP of Global Channels at Mitel. Darren has a powerful pedigree in channels. He's worked at powerhouses like Citrix, Symantex, and Lenovo before joining Mitel. And Darren's cloud service broker strategy may surprise you. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Darren, good afternoon. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. How you doing? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So we have got uh, an exciting international guest again, and I don't have very many international guests. I want to have a lot more. So tell us, where are you located? So I'm, I'm located um, in, in the UK. As you touched on, I've, I've, got, I've a worldwide job. And with the pandemic, I guess I've been more in the UK than I'd liked recently. So I'm, I'm hoping and looking forward to getting out again soon. Excellent. Where in the UK are you based? So I'm kind of M4 corridor. So um, probably Reading is the, the nearest big town for me. So about 40 miles outside of, uh, of Heathrow. So easy okay. access. Easy access, but outside of the city. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Excellent. Well, great. So you joined Mitel SVP of Global Channels last August. When they brought you in, what was the mandate? What, did, what was their, when they said, hey, we need to get you on board. Here's what we want you to do. What was that mandate? <laughs> so I, I guess I guess for me and it's a you know it's a privilege to join Mitel. I guess as as, as you'll know, Rob, and many of your listeners will know, you know, Mitel is steeped in history. We've almost fifty years now as a as an organisation, very much with an indirect focus. So very much been partner centric for all of that time. So for me, you know, when I first started talking to Mitel, I was excited about the opportunity for such a partner centric vendor. Um, mm -hmm. To want to appoint a, um, a, a worldwide leader for their for their channel, um, 
you know, I think for, for me, when I when I look at the approach that I'm taking, it's really around how do we globalize our vision, our strategy, our structure, our programs, everything that we need to do to come alongside our partners and ensure mm -hmm. that they can be successful and, and continue to drive and execute. And by global, when you say that, does that mean that it was more fragmented, maybe different programs or different strategies in different regions? We have a consistent, we have a global partner program that's been consistent all the, all the way through, but I guess okay. there were, there were, and there always needs to be local nuances um, yep. across the theaters and across the countries. But I, I guess what I saw is I saw that we had opportunity then to perhaps leverage best practice. So look at something that we're doing very well, maybe in a, in the Americas practice, and then try and bring that to the international business. And, and that was, that was really, I guess, the part that for me was, was, was missing. IDC recently did their channel predictions for 22. And, and one of the things they talked about was globalization and how they, I think they said 50% of the partners are, want to act and transact and behave globally. Right. And I think that really forces us to think about more consistency in how we treat partners around the globe. Yeah. Are you yeah. seeing that too? I'd agree. I'd agree. I mean, I, I think certainly, you know, if we look about many of our partners, they do have presence in more than more than one country. Um, mm -hmm. So it is it's making sure that we can engage with them consistently and support them. You know, what we can't do is you know, I think for, for many of our partners, they've got lots of vendors that they work with. So having lots of vendors, they're trying to then manage all of the different programs and approaches that those vendors want them to take. If they then got a vendor that's got three or four different programs or approaches across those countries, you know, just for one vendor, then do the math. It just doesn't scale. So yeah. I absolutely agree. You know, it's on us to make sure that we can provide that for our, for our partners. Yeah. Unnecessary complexity. Oh, yeah. Huge. It's where the cost is. I often I'll talk to our partners. I remember a slight tangent. I remember a few years ago meeting a partner and his, his point was so powerful. He spoke at the time about a vendor that I was working for and he spoke with great fondness about the product. And he said, it's a great product. It is it's so easy to sell. And they kind of paused for a moment. He looked me dead in the eye and he said, so why do you make it so difficult to buy? And it was, mm. and, and that simple state was so powerful. So for yes. me, I guess, as I've gone forward through my career, everything that I've tried to do is around, okay, how, how do we take out cost and complexity and yeah. make it as easy as we can to do business for our partners and then hopefully mean that they can then retain more margin. Yeah. Why do you make it so difficult to buy? That's a great line. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. It stuck with me all these years. So yeah. thank you to that partner. They'll know, they'll know who they are. <laughs> yeah. That, that is a great one. So you guys did a really big partnership recently with Ring Central. That's right. Do you want to share a little bit about that, what that is? And I want to think about how does that change your channel strategy? Because it's, it's such a, a big partnership. Yeah, sure. So you know, recently we we signed a strategic partnership with Ring Central. That Ring Central will now be Mitel's UCAS provider. Mm -hmm. um, I guess in the past, as you'll have known, we had our own UCAS solution. But what we've actually done now is we will partner with Ring Central in in, in every instance. Mm -hmm. So for Mitel, you know, I kind of alluded to it at the beginning. We have a fifty-year legacy. You know, we are the leader in unified comms. So our UC experience, our UC heritage is really what partners expect and really where we've taken the decision to double down and focus. Mm -hmm. But we also recognize that our customers have choice and we want to make sure that we support our customer on that entire journey. So 
whether they select UC or whether they decide that they want to migrate to UCAS, we want to make sure that we've got the best in class solution for them. Mm-hmm. Ring Central, obviously, as that strategic partner, is that best in class solution. You know, you've only got to look at the analysts and see that they're top right hand, you know, in any magic quadrant in terms of their capability. So it felt like the right approach for us to say, okay, well, when it comes to a best in class solution, we'll offer Ring Central in that scenario. Oddly, you know, as you know, Ring Central have been a competitor for ads for many years. It's a great strategic partnership that, you know, I think initially after some some questions, our partners and our customers have really got behind and they're really starting to see the value now. And we're working very, very closely with our partners to make sure that if they don't have a relationship with Ring Central, we can help them get a relationship. And again, for their customers, support them on that migration so that the partners have a soft landing as they mm-hmm. migrate over to, to, to UCAS, where it's applicable. Is that also an opportunity for Mitel to recruit the, the Ring Central partners previously weren't representing you? I'd say so as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it does. It creates both opportunities on, on both sides of, of, of our businesses, for sure. You know, yeah. I say it's, uh, I think it, it, it does. It presents so many opportunities for us, I think, across both organizations now. Well, one of the things I wanted to dive into with you from, you know, earlier conversations we had is around the the cloud service brokers. Yes. And, and I want to first make sure that everyone understands what we're talking about, because not everyone may be f- even familiar with what we mean by the term cloud service brokers, and they can have different shapes and sizes and flavors, right? Yeah, yeah, they can for sure. So, so I, I guess if I think about CSBs or cloud service brokers, you know, I, and again, we at Mitel, we have a two-tier um, model. So again, we work we work very closely with our distributors. Um, if you think, actually, it's probably worth just coming back a stage, Rob. Um, you know, cloud. I think for for Mitel, you know, we have UCAS now with Ring Central, but for our customers as they go on that journey, they may decide that actually they want hosted or they want private single tenant solution. That's still Mitel UC. And then when they need, obviously, multi-tenant or, or public, then that would be UCAS, which we'd work with them on Ring Central. Okay. We think about the role that our distributors play in a CSB model is they're really there to support our partners. Because for many of our partners, as they start looking at the customer lifecycle and, and what the customer may be looking for, it could be subscription, it could be private tenant, hosted, multi-tenant. In that scenario, by partnering with the distributor, the distributor acts as an aggregator. So they're able to take lots of different vendors' technologies, bring all of that together, offer that on behalf of the partner to the customer, and then in many instances as well, managing the billing and the contractual element for the partner. Because I, I think for many of our partners, as, you know, they, as they try to make the transition to subscription or to cloud, that that in itself from a commercial model, again, back to that, making it difficult to to buy that in itself can create so many commercial hurdles so having the distributor or the csb there is is pretty fundamental to to many of them in their success and their ability to scale that offering that their customer needs what might the the cloud service broker be aggregating for your customers scenarios Oh, and it, it, it can be everything. I think, you know, I think all of us as vendors now, you know, we have subscription or cloud offerings. So we see a wide gamut. I mean, you know, our, many of our partners and our distributors aren't just solely focused on, on communications or UC. They will be focused across the entire IT infrastructure. So we find it, it can be very broad, you know, from a 
chunk of Microsoft. It could be some HP, some VMware, some Citrix, or it could you know, be the, the, the Mitel solution. What we're finding is for our, our distributors, it's really around how they provide the right commercial model. You know, and, and I think you know, some of those vendors I spoke about as well are moving now more towards a consumption model as well as obviously a, you know, a traditional MRR. So that, that in itself creates even more hurdles in terms of how do you try to manage the logistics or the contractual elements. Mm-hmm. So are your cloud service brokers exclusively distributors or are there other companies that you're looking at in, as part of your ecosystem? Within our ecosystem, it's, it's largely our distributors um, that are, are, are providing that cloud service broker. But I, I do recognize there are, there are other service providers that also provide CSB services. We're, we're not there yet. I guess never, never say never. I, I think for us, we've started and you'll have seen from recent announcements that we are broadening our subscription offerings that we're taking to market. So for us now, what we want to make sure is as we provide those offerings and as we, we start to develop out our customer lifecycle management discussions, we want to make sure that as we support customer choice, we're also able to make sure that our partners can effectively deliver on that. So for us, it's really around first point of that is our distributors. You know, they are foundational to our partner's success. So we want to make sure that we're working with our distributors. But as a as the market continues to evolve, you know, never say never. I mean, I know certainly marketplaces, there's a good CSB offering as well. You know, so I think there are there are much broader options out there. For us, though, I feel that the way that we can probably add the most value for our current channel is by making sure that we're doubling down and working with our distributors to go and deliver in CSB. So this is a an evolving role of the distributor. Is that correct? It is, yeah. And not 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 all distributors are, are there yet. You know, and I think here yeah, and it, and there's it's interesting. I had this conversation with an, an analyst recently. It's varying degrees of capabilities that I think that sit across the distribution landscape. But I, I think any distributors that we talk to today very much have you know really two two focus areas: CSB around how do they go and deliver that, and then in support of that as well, customer success, what they're doing as well to support the partners' customers through the customer lifecycle management or customer success to make sure that they can then help them make sure that they're they're delivering effectively through to their customer. That's an interesting one because I've been talking a lot internally and externally about what is the partner's role in customer success. I haven't been talking about what's the distributor's role in customer success. What are you seeing there? What do you think they can do for us? Yeah, I guess just to to tie that back, if I, I can, back to my tell, I mean, we we have just, and again, we, we finished our, our Partner Next conference last week, where we got an opportunity to speak to you know, many, many thousand of our, our partners. Unfortunately, it was virtual again in a studio, but I'm hoping it will be face-to-face next year. And one of the things that we spent a lot of the time talking about our partners um, to is around customer lifecycle management. One of the things that we're doing now is we are working with our partners to do a number of things. Firstly, we want to develop data packs. So we want to provide packs to our partners around their customers so they can see you know, who's active today. Who isn't active? Who isn't taking advantage of software assurance? Who has a propensity maybe to move to cloud, you know, of any of those versions that we just spoke about? And then what we'll do is we'll work with them to build a plan around how do we go and drive each of those customers and have the conversation with them about customer lifecycle management. That, that will be supported via campaigns, playbooks, and also resources where needed, because it, we recognize that 
maybe our partners may not have capability across the end-to-end customer lifecycle discussions. So that's what we're doing as a vendor. And then coming behind us to support with, with that would obviously be the distributors. Because again, if you look at our distributors, they have very strong marketing organizations that can help us deliver on some of these campaigns. They have the CSB models as well that can really then help us structure the commercial models that the customers may need. They can also support us with enablement and resources. And none of the customer success is new for many of the partners. They they talk to their customers on a regular basis about, are they sweating their asset? Are they getting enough return from the investment that they've made? And you know that's kind of that's passed down now to the distributor. And they also see that as their responsibility as well to make sure that yeah. they're supporting. Yeah. Very interesting. Now you you came from Cisco, is that correct? Citrix. Citrix. Okay. Sorry Close. about that. Seems we see. Close. Close. <laughs> Had a C. Cisco does a lot about uh, customer lifecycle management with their partners. Does Citrix they as do. well? Yes. It's something again, you know, I, I think as I've as I've spoken to I've been getting I've been developing more of an outside in. I'm I'm the um the we have an executive leadership committee and I'm the ELC leader for our customer lifecycle management. So as we've developed that out, you know, we want to make sure that we test with our partners, test with our customers, the analysts. So I've spent a lot of my time developing that outside in view. And we do hear that that I guess Cisco is is probably the you know, one of the more mature and more developed, you know, what we're trying to do within our offering is make sure that we are really supporting. Again, it's back to that partner first kind of approach, that channel centric model that we have. We want to make sure that we're really working closely with our partners. They have those relationships with our customers. It's on us to make sure that we provide them with the data, the analytics and the content so that they can then go and drive those conversations with the with the uh, with the customer because you know in, in many instances they're having conversations with the customer about their entire infrastructure you know so they they want to make sure that when they talk about it they can talk with relevance and not just lead with one particular product mm-hmm. yeah makes sense so back to the CSB model is mm. that making it easier for partners to buy it it is that's I mean Rob and again to their partners. Keep me honest. That's what. That's really. You know, back to that. I probably should have started with that. But you know, so what's your brief? That is my brief. I just want to make it easier to buy so that it drives up retained margin. So the intent is, as we start to bring things to market, I I don't want them to be too hard for the partners to try and bite off. So in many instances, that will need mean that we need to leverage other resources or other go to markets such as distribution. So. Yeah, CSB, again, largely, I think, through the commercial scale and capability that they have should really help make it easier for the, for the partners. Can you give some examples of how they do that, how it is easier for the partners than, than maybe other methods or, how, or what maybe some of us are doing wrong in trying to set this up to make it easy? I guess if I think about maybe a, maybe a good analogy is, uh, you know, when we all go to the supermarket and we do our shopping. So we kind of, we arrive at the supermarket, we've got everything. We've got everything that we need from our, uh, you know, our groceries, from our vegetables, right the way through to our, you know, our toiletries or our alcohol as you kind of work through the aisles. You imagine the scenario. So if you think about that supermarket, that is the distributor. This is probably a bad analogy, Rob, but go with me. Um, so if you, if you think about the, in that supermarket, you're going through the aisles, you get to the toiletry aisle, 
and it says, hey, you need to go to Unilever to get your toiletries. You'll be like, oh, man, that sucks. Okay, so you do all of your shopping and then you need to go to a, a separate store to go and buy your, your toiletries. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't. Have, I don't know many that would because it's it's convenience that you can get everything that you need and then you can purchase all of that. If you think about aggregation, it's very similar. You know, in that in that distribution model, I can go and buy every technology vendor that I need through that that distributor, and I can structure it into the billing, into the commercial terms that are right for me and right for my customer. If I have a vendor that sits outside of that in a one tier model and isn't working with my my supermarket, my distributor, and I've I've either got to go and find somebody else in the store that can deliver that for me that may not be the right solution for my customer, or I need to then make it harder to buy by going outside and working separately with that standalone vendor. So that's, I guess, trying to trying to break it down to a simple analogy. That That's kind of my logic around how I see it working when you look at the distribution model. Yeah. No, I think that is a good analogy. I remember when I lived in France for a while, and it was very cute and fun to go to the boulangerie for my bread and the patisserie or whatever. And then you get went to your cheese shop, you know, and, and it was neat, but then I love going to Carrefour and just finding it all right yeah. there, that convenience. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. And, and I, I think that's the thing is that particularly for our, our partners, you know, it's, it's back to that point. How do we take cost out? It's yeah. cost, it's time that they simply don't have by forging those, those separate commercial agreements when they can actually yeah. do it through their, you know, their, their supermarket. Yeah. So you have this two-tier model. You sounds like you're all in on distribution and, and finding all the different ways to leverage distribution. Is that accurate? That is. I mean, we do recognize as well that there are times where a partner or a customer may want to work with us directly. So again, it's really around how we make sure that we provide the right solution to support the customer and the partner. So don't get me wrong, you know, we do have one-tier partners. But in many instances, those one-tier partners still work in a two-tier model because they recognize the value. And that, that, yeah, and that's really important to me is, uh, you know, when we work with our distributors, and it's back to one of the things that I've started to work with the team on very closely, is we want to make sure that we understand the value stack that we get from distribution and how distribution can then go and make sure that they are delivering value back to our partners. So I'm all in on a, on a two-tier strategy but equally making sure that we're holding the distributors accountable for delivering value to the partners. Yeah. How or what are things you're doing to make it easier for the distributor to work with you? So this is, and again, it's one of the things that I kind of alluded to there. We've, we've developed a new program. The program will look at that value stack that the distributor has, and then we'll make sure that we recognize them in terms of how we reward them for where they deliver value, you know? So I, th I think there's, and we've heard this, I mean, you know, we, we spoke about this before, Rob, you know, neither one of us are new to the industry and you'll often hear about oh, the distributors there for fulfillment. It's absolutely not, you know, they have so many more roles that they play for our partners. Fulfillment is one, and it's one that we can kind of, we and they, you know, typically would take for, for granted. So what we want to make sure we do is we're rewarding them for value. So we'll work with them to say, hey, this, this is our strategy. This is our focus. These are our priorities. How do we map our priorities onto our joined business? What is the value stack that you can then deliver against that? And then how do we reward you for delivering that value? So it, 
it really then allows us to go back to our partners and say, okay, these are the areas where we can hold distribution accountable to help us both. And then equally as well, it kind of creates swim lanes. So that in some countries where we have more than one distributor, um, then obviously you can then start to understand the value stack that each of those distributors offer, and it doesn't then simply become a race to the bottom. Right, right. Now that's very important. What are some of the items in that value stack? Let me just pick on a few. Obviously, partner recruiting, the DISTIs are doing. How about the mm. partner enablement? You know, really ramping up the partner's sales, pre-sales, even service delivery capabilities. Are you leaning on the DISTIs and expecting them to do that? We are. And, and again, you know, six months in, it's one of the focus areas that we have now. You know, I'm, I'm pleased to say I, I, I run our sales enablement business within, within Mitel. And they, you know, shout out to the team. They do a wonderful job. But we need to scale and we need to rely more on our, our, our distributors to be able to do that. You know, we'll continue to support our, our platinum and gold partners. But for that long tail of silver and authorized partners, absolutely, that's where we need distribution to, to help us. Mm-hmm. So it's it's train the trainer type yeah. approach. Yeah. Good, good. How about quoting? Are, are they able to quote independently from Mitel? Yes. Yeah, they are for sure. I mean, you think about that stack, it really is around, you know, many of the commercial things such as quoting, it is enablement and services, it is support. Um, it, it, it really is around, you know, the areas where we, we feel that for our, our partners, as we start to drive more in CLM, they mm-hmm. would need more backup from, from the, the, the distributors. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it is, it's kind of, you know, when you think about that value stack, it's much broader than just a traditional fulfillment. I, I guess, you know, people would have traditionally been familiar with distribution for. Right. Are there any other things that you're doing, maybe new ideas that you brought in from past experience that you're, you're executing on with, with distributors? Um, it's really around our planning, I'd say is probably the biggest one. Now that sounds like, mm. man, is that it? You know, but <laughs> I think I think we all we all talk about planning, you know, and I've seen I've seen yeah. it good, bad, and ugly in various organizations. Quite often I think when you go back and you talk to a distributor or you talk to one of your account managers, they'll build a plan, typically because the boss is asking. So it's you know, fill it out, Excel or PowerPoint, whatever the latest version is, and then it just gets put in a drawer until they are asked for it again. What I what I I've started to introduce now is I want us to develop business plans and they don't need to be onerous business plans but what are our strategic imperatives what are our distributors or our, it applies to our partners as well or our partners strategic imperatives how do we bring them together in a plan and what is it we are going to do to hold one another accountable to achieve those objectives there's nothing worse in my experience than when you have a plan that is we have our as a vendor we have our objectives it's not aligned to what the partner's trying to do and then the rewards that we give the partner or the distributor aren't aligned to either one. And it's like, man, what's, where's the motivation? How, how does this work? So really what I'm trying to do is get everything lined up so that we have joined strategic imperatives. We have a joined plan and joined rewards around if we achieve those outcomes. So the plan for the outcomes, if we achieve those outcomes, how the partner gets rewarded and how we then measure success. And, and really just make sure then that that's supported by both uh, a weekly cadence, because, again, a, you know, a, a plan has no value if it just goes in the top drawer. So let's make it a living document that we can say, hey, you know, Rob, last week you agreed to do this. Have you done that? Has it happened? And last week I agreed to do this. Have I done it? Let me let me tell you why I haven't. Or if I have, what impact it's having on the business. 
And I think that's really important that we drive that that weekly cadence. And then the other thing that I want us to move more towards is a QBR, quarterly business review, to review that plan. I think, you know, we've all lost hours in operational QBRs, which is where we just, you know, pat one another on the back around, hey, we said we'd do this number and we shipped 4,000 invoices and it's irrelevant. I guess what I want to make sure is that we get the exec sponsors from the distributor or the partner together with the exec sponsors from Mitel in the room so that we can then have the conversation around what's stopping us from executing on the plan. So I guess what I'm what I'm bringing, I hope, is structure around that plan and then the cadence to make sure that we then start to execute against that and reward people when we do execute against that. You're speaking my language, Darren. I'm, I'm working on executing on that same strategy internally at, at my company. Are you using any tools for that? You know, any business planning tools? Well, we use Salesforce. Um, you know, I mean, Salesforce, so again, it, you know, predominantly it's Salesforce. But one, again, one of the other things I'd learned is, you know, we, we touched on it earlier, is our partners have lots of, lots of vendors. And what I want to do is make sure that it's got both our thing, fingerprints on the plan. It's not a MyTel plan and it's not a distributor plan. And in many instances, a distributor will have plans, formats or templates that they use or they are more comfortable or familiar with. So what I'm encouraging the team to do is say, hey, look, this is a plan and this is the minimum of the, the criteria that it needs to address. But if you work with a distributor or a partner that has their own template, let's use that. But let's make sure that it still follows that same cadence. It's still addressing those requirements that we think we need to have within the basis of a business plan so that we can then make sure that it's effective and it's delivering what we what we need. I guess I've been respectful of the multi-vendor kind of approach so that the partners can come to us and say, hey, this is the plan that typically I'm most familiar with or you know, we've, we've responded to the best. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. I like that approach. So... You were at Citrix, not Cisco. You've had a fairly international career, haven't you, in, in covering different regions in, around the globe? I have, yeah. I guess over my career, I've been lucky enough to, to live in different parts of Europe. I, when I was at Lenovo, I managed their Australia and New Zealand business, so I spent a few few years down under as well. Um, nice. but, but yeah, I, I guess you know, in the last 10, 15 years, very much it's been in global roles. So, you know, much more with, with global experience. Most recently, you know, as I say, I left Citrix where I was their worldwide COO for their partner ecosystem. Yeah, I think that global perspective and having lived and worked in other countries is so helpful when you step into this, this global position. Do you notice any differences in perspective of channel chiefs in the US versus your approach? Or do you think there's, is there any difference? Do you mean from a worldwide perspective? Yeah, just, you know, even, you know, I've traveled, I've lived in other countries, but I still have my U.S. perspective, right? And yeah. I wonder, does that impact how I approach things versus how you might approach things? I don't know. I mean, again, it's, 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 hard, to, it's hard to kind of draw, draw a comparison across them all. I guess what I would say is, you know, America's, for, for, for many of us, you know, and again, if we think about technology, they, they typically manifest themselves from the US, you know, I think we've all worked for very large American, you know, kind of organizations. I think in America's because of the sheer size and scale and volume, I think for almost every technology vendor, it can become all consuming. And there is there is 
understandably a default that wow this is a this is a massive market it's a massive opportunity therefore it's where all of my focus and energy needs to go and i have seen in the past that that can then often shape how a vendor will come to market with their global strategy and i guess as as, as we know and i can say this being a, a brit and having worked in Europe for for you know many different organizations is that every country that I will go and speak to will have their unique differences and will typically be quite offended if I try and shoehorn a global program into their country because it doesn't work in my country it never does so so from that from that perspective what I what I try to do is I'll set the vision I'll set the strategy and the blueprint and that's really what I've done here now is set the blueprint and then you know, recognize and respect that there'll be nuances in that country that really makes them that country and really then allows them to go execute. So within that that blueprint, that framework, there'll still need to be nuances. But provided they are driving the framework and the approach, I'm absolutely fine with that. I, I don't think I don't think we could ever expect to have, you know, one size fit all in, in, in every every country. Can you have a one size fits all partner program with consistent benefits and requirements, for example? I think you can to a level. I mean, to give you an example of that, you know, our global partner program, it's largely point, points based and it's points based based on certification, specialization, everything that you'd kind of expect to be that that medallion level. And then on top of that, our partners earn points for their sales. And again, with customer lifecycle management, we're adjusting that now to make sure it's across everything. It's not just focused on new UC or on, on you know, kind of cloud. It's focused across everything, SWAR subscription, the, the whole end-to-end. I think for, for us, if I look at a program perspective, that points-based piece absolutely makes sense to have that, that framework. But then equally, the points I need to become a platinum partner in Americas, as an example, would be a different number of points to the points that I would need to become a platinum partner in Spain or Portugal, as an example. So what we've done is we've been really careful to make sure as we design it, yes, we have a global partner program that we can stand behind and say, absolutely, that works as a certification, specialization, rewarding for performance. But then how that drives you to your medallion level will differ across each of those economies and countries that we work with. Mm-hmm. So here's a challenge I, I see with that is that, because we're looking at this too. So if I'm that partner in Spain, I need less points because it's a smaller country, smaller market, smaller companies. I need fewer points to get to my platinum status or whatever it is. But then I want to sell in the US or another market where the points are higher. Do I still have that higher status or, or am I dropped down because now I'm selling and I got to have an equal competition with those partners? Yeah, you'd have to start again. So that's that's exactly it. I mean, again, we're trying to make sure that we provide a, a level playing field and obviously, a, you know, a, a healthy ecosystem where we support all of our, our partners that have invested. So in that in that scenario, I mean, I can't I can't immediately think of one of our partners in Spain that also has a, a business model in Americas. But if they move to that business model where they want to, you know, kind of work with us in Americas, then they would need obviously to have the Americas eligibility as well. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Okay. Very good. Well, Darren, what haven't I asked you that that you wished I would have? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a question. I guess, you know, and, and Rob, we've, I, we've, we've covered a lot in 30 minutes. I mean, I, I appreciate you taking the time today. I think for me, the, the one part I, 
I, I would just like to leave our, our listeners, our viewers with is really around, you know, the opportunity with Mitel. Mm -hmm. I'm sure if they talk to any of our partners, you know, they would they would recognize. I, I started about it at the beginning. You know, we, we have almost 50 years of, of history of being the legacy UC provider. And I think with our announcement now with Ring Central, you know, I'm so excited because what that really does give our customers is it gives us the end-to-end -end offering. I mean, M MZA recently have said that, you know, the UC market is still a $50 billion market. I mean, man, to... To have 10% of that is a is a healthy place to be. So, mm -hmm. so from that perspective, I don't feel we're opportunity constrained. So for me and, and our partners, you know, I'd say please come and continue to work with us in driving UC to your customers. Yeah. You know, we can deliver an end-to-end -end solution. And I feel we're uniquely placed to do that with them. So yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm excited. And if anything, that's what I'd like to leave the, the, the listeners with today. All right. Fantastic. And how about outside of work? What do you like to do for fun, if that's allowed these days with, with all the, <laughs> the restrictions? <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a couple of things. I mentioned this actually in the Partner Next conference we had uh, last week. So I, I joined Mitel in, uh, in August. The week before I joined Mitel, I moved home. So I guess a lot of my spare time at the moment is spent very much still unboxing boxes, you know, kind of seven months in, I'm still finding boxes I haven't unpacked. I'm still hanging pictures and painting walls. So that's, that's most of my downtime. But when I'm not doing that as well, I, I do like to play golf rather badly, but it's a, it's a good walk. <laughs> it's the only way to describe it. <laughs> you like punishment. Golf's a punishing sport. Ah, oh, it's, it's it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating. What I'm learning is I need to play. This is my excuse. I need to play more frequently. When I when I've had the ability to play more than once a month, I can see that I become more predictable. It's like anything, right? And it's and so yeah, I I need to just get away from unpacking all these boxes at home and focus on the golf course. That's my uh, that's my uh, my my very late New Year's resolution. Where did you move back from? Uh, so again, I just moved just a few towns, so probably about 20 miles away from where I was living. Oh, okay. Just from a different village to, to one closer to my, my daughter's school. So okay. again, still still stay pretty local and a bit closer to the motorway so that I can get to the airport when we do get back to some kind of it, normal. It wasn't an international move. I thought you might have been abroad and, and came back. No, no. I've been UK based now for a, for a few years. Getting itchy feet, but don't tell Are the family you? that. <laughs> <laughs> Where is somewhere that you haven't lived that you would like to live? Do you know, the U.S. is inevitable, isn't it? I think at some stage in my career, you know, I I, I have spent, I mean, in, in one of my previous roles, I was two weeks of the month in the U.S. So I was, I was kind of in the U.S., you know, way too much, so much so that I had to go and get a visa because they stopped letting me in on a regular basis. Um, so, so I, I think for me, whilst I, I've spent a lot of time in the U S we touched on it, Rob, it's the, it's, it's the biggest market. I guess it's the one that we typically, you know, focus towards. So for me, I think probably spending more time in the U S on a permanent basis would be one I'd, I'd think about as we go forward. But again, with, I think with the changing attitudes over the last two years and the globalization, the ability to reach you know, particularly on the GMT time zone, I'm, I'd, I'd say I'm uniquely, uniquely placed for the moment, but never say never. <laughs> my, my next move is on a giant catamaran where I have connect, full connectivity. 
Oh, that yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> one, one can dream about it anyway. <laughs> Put me down for that. <laughs> yeah, mine right, might Darren. be on a golf course where I can get yeah, full that's right. activity. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Anywhere in the world, you find the best golf course. Yeah. Awesome, Darren. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us, and uh, wish you best of luck. Uh, Rob, yeah, it's been a pleasure seeing you. Thank you. Appreciate the time. All right. Thanks cheers. very much, Rob. Cheers. Bye bye. All right, guys, what a pleasure speaking with Darren. Just his accent alone makes it a lot of fun. Distribution reminds me a bit of a mainframe. People like to say that it's on the way out, but hybrid cloud strategies are keeping both in play. And if you haven't been speaking with your distributor about cloud service brokerage and aggregation, it may be a good time to start. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to our sponsor, Allbound. Allbound has best-in-class reviews for user experience, ease of use, and customer support. And if you're looking for an easier way to manage your partner ecosystem, from deal registration to tracking partner opportunities and providing the right discounts and commissions, be sure to check them out at allbound.com. For today's show notes, just go to channeljourneys.com slash CJ88. You can subscribe while you're there. And if you've enjoyed the show, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Next episode, we'll be talking about the key to successful alliances. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.